Welcome to the North Texas District Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast from and for those of us serving Jesus with the North Texas District of the Assemblies of God. So friends, we are knocking on the door of September. Pumpkin spice lattes are out at Starbucks if you have one in your neighborhood. And if you don't, you have some coffee shop that is imitating the pumpkin spice latte. So can we all agree that it's pumpkin spice time, but it's not nearly as fun to enjoy whenever you have sweat running down your forehead. But I'm glad you're here today listening, and um, I'm glad I'm here today getting to listen to uh, a friend and North Texas District family member, Jonathan Lilly. Jonathan, welcome. Thank you so much. And I just wanted to quickly remark, is that a pumpkin spice candle you have burning here in the office? <laughs> yeah, I just, you've got to bring in the feeling where you can, because it's too hot in Texas to feel like we're anywhere near fall until November. So I, I just like to bring it in. I noticed that just the difference with the air conditioner blowing fiercely and then the the pumpkin spice uh, candle. That's quite two different dynamics, but we'll get used to it. Yeah, absolutely. So Jonathan, you're here today. We're talking about pastoring bivocationally today. So the North Texas District, we're a diverse network of churches and ministers, and about 30% of our pastors are bivocational, uh, meaning friends, in case you didn't know what that means, uh, they minister in a local church context while maintaining another job on a full or part-time basis. So for some of us listening, we can't imagine having to do anything other than uh, spend all the time we can in a local church and pastoring our people and doing those specific ministry-related endeavors. But for some bivocational pastors, they can't imagine ministry any other way. And so I've done it both ways. Uh, Maybe if you're listening, friends, you're wondering what it would be like to pastor in a way different than you do. So today, Jonathan, we are going to get into uh, your experience and your story a little bit. Awesome. We're excited. Uh, We've been doing that probably about eight or nine years now as a bivocational pastor. Uh, in the ministry full-time for 17 years. So we didn't start out that way. Okay. Uh, and our, our beginnings were um, in the youth ministry, five years for full-time. But uh, our first couple of pastorates have kind of required that setting. So Okay. So you're in Eustace right now. Right. The, the North Texas District is a massively, irrationally drawn geographical place. We know that. It goes down so far south as San Marcos, out west around San Angelo. So there's a strong chance someone listening may not know exactly where Eustace is. Where is it? Tell us about the town a little bit, size, all that kind of stuff. Sure. We are about 55 miles southeast of Dallas, there's a little bit of a triangle between Dallas to Tyler and down to Athens, Texas. We're kind of in the midst of that little triangle, so to speak. We have around 991, as far as the population sign says, on Eustace, Texas. We are a rural community, a great community, wonderful school district. Uh, those of you who are obviously football fans out there, and if you're not, we will definitely be in prayer and intercession for you. Um, we are a 3A, and so that matters to the football fan. So those schools who are... 3A in a population, right. now, so you must get a lot of county people. We right. do, because it's a rural setting. Uh, and there's also a lake. Cedar Creek Lake is there next to Eustis. And we pull from smaller communities that obviously do not have a school district. Um, so the the population is small, but the opportunity for, you know, if you're thinking ministry, church growth is is there yeah. because of the different smaller communities that are around. So tell us a little bit about your church. And because we're talking bivocational ministry today, get in a little bit to your other job. 
Sure. Me and my wife, we have been there in Eustis for around nine years pastoring. And part of that challenge there in Eustis, um, in a smaller setting, um, maybe sometimes in a rural setting, is the church may not be able to provide uh, parsonage or uh, or the income's really small. Today's time, we have uh, the need probably for insurance coverage for your family. I have two daughters 18-year-old and a 16-year-old, and insurance is kind of a a really big deal for our family right now. And so some particular churches, they're just not able. If they would and they could, they would obviously do that for your pastor, but they can't. And so for us, the agreement between us and the church was they would allow us to work outside the church to cover some of those and so that we could, you know, provide insurance and, you know, some of the financial needs and costs that go along with raising a family. So when we became pastors there and that option was available, the first place that we were to look for uh, or suggested to us was a funeral home because there's a lot of yeah and that sounds a little morbid but you'll be surprised how many families lose a loved one and do not have a pastor do not have a church and when it comes time to hold a service for a loved one they are clueless where to go and so I um, went and uh, offered services there. It turned into from preaching for families without pastors to working services to eventually making uh, removals and stuff of that nature. Uh, so whenever someone passed away, you you were there on site bringing them to the big house. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's inappropriate. <laughs> no, that's, that's great stuff. Yes, we have made several hundred removals uh, over the last wow. five or six years. You know, part of our work there. It was a challenging situation at times. The hours became longer because people die anytime. You know, they're, yes. you know, there's, yes. <laughs> <laughs> they will not pass away on schedule as we would always prefer. And I'm not trying to make light of that situation. Well, the Lord has an appointment with them. Exactly. But he doesn't let us know when that's going to be. There's something biblical there. But so, yeah, there are those challenges with schedule and family time and church. I would say full time job outside the church. We have, done several part-time jobs outside the church, and it was great support and great financially for our family. So try not to complain about some of those things, but the hours did get long, the need, and just I think the vocation itself of always dealing with grieving families can put compassion fatigue in your heart and will carry over to the pastoral ministry if you're not careful. I can imagine that. Yeah, that that had to be tough when your your 9 to 5 is somehow involved with tragedy for someone at all times and just having something left in the tank to pastor the flock. Oh, absolutely. And the last 6 months we were given an opportunity to move from the funeral home over to a hospice chaplaincy, which is kind of the other side of the fence, sort to speak. So that's been a little bit of that challenge as well, is dealing with people on their way to death instead of dealing with the families after death. Yeah. So it's been providing, like I said, um, the upside is that my family is taken care of, all their needs are met, God does provide for us. There's no lack in our house. The other side of it is being careful that you're not emotionally spent or drained to provide the support your family needs from you. Because still at the end of the day, your wife, my daughters, both still need someone to to listen to them, someone to offer advice, that kind of thing. And, and after doing that for maybe 40 plus hours a week, and then your church family, which 
obviously needs you in your prayers and support and hospital visits and all the things that we do. There's a very fine line um, to make sure that you're not giving out in so many other directions. You're missing the value of what you need to be doing as a father and a husband to your family. Wow. So as a hospice chaplain, does this look like a lot of time at the hospital or are, are you visiting families and homes a lot? What is that? What does that look like day to day? It is a little bit of both, not so much hospital time as nursing home and, and house residential visits. Uh, we see on average 60 to 80 patients a month. And what that kind of looks like is either going into their homes or the nursing facility and doing what you would do as a, a pastor in a normal visit to offer counsel, read scriptures. Sometimes we take communion with the patients. It's there to encourage them. I have patients that want to talk about the good old days, and then I have patients that want to do a full-out Bible study. Mm-hmm. So there's different types of backgrounds and different types of upbringings, spiritual influences. And so we try to accommodate every level, but at the same time, bringing them to a closer relationship with the Lord. Talk a little bit about um, your interaction as a chaplain with perhaps different nurses and medical professionals, these these community people that you end up alongside while you're ministering to these hurting families. Have there been doors of ministry that have opened to you because of having a, a foot in? Maybe we wouldn't call it the traditional marketplace, but uh, nonetheless, it is a it, the non-church setting. Absolutely. And this is kind of where the funeral home opportunities bled over to the hospice chaplain opportunities, in that when you serve a family— And for the most part, those who want chaplain services probably don't have a pastor, or if they do, they need they need the extra support from the hospice chaplain. So come. That's true. Yeah, if they if they had a pastor, they probably wouldn't be trying to connect with a chaplain. Right. Okay. And so, and we have several patients that will refuse chaplain services, not because they're non-religious, just because they already have that spiritual support. Right. And so. When we develop that relationship with a patient or their family, and they are without a pastor or they're not a, a faithful churchgoer, eventually, and obviously, because they're on hospice, they're going to pass away. Time is short for them. So when they do pass away, they're obviously going to need someone to officiate their services. Well, that relationship has already been you know, the foundation is there with us and them. And so I have had the opportunity to preach a lot of funeral services and consequently uh, invite a lot of people to church who maybe enjoyed how we handled the funeral services or handled Mm. their loved one in their time of dying and need. And so we have actually had several families start attending the church because of that connection or that influence of being with their family member as they were dying and then walking them through death and then the bereavement side of loving on a family after, you know, post-death and officiating their funeral services as well. I imagine, Jonathan, you could write a book on walking people through tough stages in life and in the funeral setting. Oh, absolutely. Um, If anything, we've become acquainted with over the last five or six years as a bivocational pastor, it's dealing with grief Mm -hmm. and walking people through times of grief and change. And I can only imagine that's something you're called into. I wouldn't see it as something that I woke up one day saying, oh, yes, Lord, please <laughs> lead me into a ministry of guiding people constantly through grief. So yeah. there is a grace from heaven to give you the words and then sometimes teach you when to hush your mouth hmm. and just hold their hand sure, and 
let them know you're there. So that's powerful. So you, you mentioned earlier, some of the different, um, challenges there can be with family. Whenever you have a nine to five, you're trying to work on ministry in the evening and stay connected with the kids. Go into that a little more. How do you keep your family connected uh, when ministry is such a big part of life outside of your job? Sure. A typical day would look like starting around eight or eight thirty. We'd sometimes see three, sometimes see six patients a day. So my day could end as early as one or two, and it could end as late as six or seven in the evening. It just varies. Most of my time with my family outside of that is make sure I'm involved in all their school activities. Our Sundays are very important to us in a rural setting or a traditional setting. The churches would normally have a Sunday morning, Sunday evening service. Several years ago, our church elected to not do a Sunday evening service, not just for the church or what many churches are doing, but for their pastor. Mm. And so they uh, saw the need that me working inside and outside the church, it would also be beneficial to myself to have some time. And so our Sundays are, are kind of our day. If there's not a guest speaker, nothing going on, for the most part, our family will eat as a family and spend that time as a family. But me and my wife stay really involved in our girls' activities, school activities. Uh, with her being a stay-at-home mom, she keeps the house running and is able to keep that connection going for us. When I get home in the evenings, uh, we try to spend as much time as we can. Uh, they're at a place where we absolutely cannot help them with their homework, but <laughs> we can pat them on the back and encourage them to do their best. So, right. uh, But my biggest challenge and advice to any bivocational pastor and having a work schedule that requires eight hours a day, and then you're trying to put your family in in the evenings or family in on a Sunday, is a lot of times, and my habit was, to do my studying in the evenings and on Saturday. Well, if you set your schedule that way, you're actually robbing yourself of a Sabbath. And if any advice I could give to any bivocational pastors who are listening to this is to not Sabbath is actually the greater sin and the byproduct of a workaholic. And not only that, you're not as useful to those you're ministering to without mm. a Sabbath. Mm. In other words, as important as you think you are, as valuable as you think you are because you work all the time and give to your family all the time and pastor all the time, you're actually less valuable without rest. And so that hit home with me about a year ago, and I had a couple of spiritual and then physical encounters to where the Lord straightened me out and putting a Sabbath in place changed how I did bivocational ministry. Hmm. And this may be a whole nother podcast, but the importance of a Sabbath is always, or seems to be always overlooked by the bivocational pastor because they have such a good work ethic and probably value that, almost maybe pedestal that, mm -hmm. which I did. I took a lot of pride in that. I look at my great work ethic, and I'm providing for my family. And I'm, But in the end of the day, um, you're less valuable because you have less to spend with others. And so I know I rabbit trailed a little bit on that. But no, my week, okay. there's, there's long days, there's shorter days. But in the process of a week, we, we have to make time for rest. Mm -hmm. And I would say as a bivocational pastor and one who's been there and done that, not resting was probably one of our, our greatest sins and fallbacks 
And probably if you were to look at statistics, those ministers who are constantly dropping out of the ministry, I would say the larger statistic is those who are bivocational and never learn to rest. They allowed their work ethic to work them out of the ministry because of exhaustion. Jonathan, let me throw this question at you. Um, You've talked some about being able to make connections with families in their time of grief, and that pastoring led them to connecting with the church. Are there any other um, what you would call unexpected blessings of vocationally having one foot in the marketplace and one foot in the church? Absolutely. Being able to be in the ministry in the workplace has several benefits. One of the first ones would obviously be the connections you make. There are some people who have visited and who are actually coming to church and are members now who probably would have never made that connection had I not been working. So there's the growth of the church. And then the other side of it is the growth of the kingdom, which there's been people we've been able to minister to who ended up in another church, which is great because it's not all about, you know, our church or our denomination. Sometimes it's the kingdom. And we were able to get people in place. So having met a lot of people, being in a lot of different places of influence, uh, we were able to to find a place where people would fit once they had the opportunity to come to the Lord, whether it be in a funeral service or because mama or daddy or grandma or grandpa were dying. There's been many opportunities where we've seen people uh, now walking with the the Lord because of these situations. Death has a way of getting people back where they need to be. And we've seen that time and time again as well. If you had the blessing tomorrow of your church in Eustace saying, Pastor, giving is up to the point where you don't have to work two two jobs anymore. Look what we can do. We'd love to to have you go full-time. Not saying you wouldn't jump at that and, and be so thrilled, but what would you miss about the bivocational pastor's life? I guess the main thing that we would miss is the social interaction, and maybe I've been so far disconnected from being a full-time pastor that I would assume being a full-time pastor limits that social interaction, but I'm sure if I were to be a full-time pastor tomorrow, the people that I meet, meeting needs, and as selfish as this will sound, I've been a hospice chaplain for right around seven months now. There's been over a dozen people we've led to the Lord right before they've passed away. And as I said, this will sound selfish. That is so self-fulfilling right there, is to get a phone call saying so-and-so has passed away and knowing three days before that you led them to the Lord. And we have been able to do that. And so I don't know, being a full-time pastor, those opportunities would avail themselves Mm -hmm. as they have as a hospice chaplain. I do think that those of us that have the privilege of working full-time in a local church do have to make sure that we we make ourselves available to encounter people who aren't already in the kingdom, especially the busier things get. And if on a pastoral leadership perspective, you, you step back and in a sense, start leading leaders. Every every step back, though, may be necessary. It can be easy to talk yourself out of situations where you would just simply be with people who don't yet know the Lord. We don't want our only encounters with um, unbelievers being, well, hopefully some people in my church might invite unbelievers and they, they can hear me preach. Yes, exactly. And I think that becomes the case. But as we all have to grow, there does come a point and a time where you're not just ministering specifically to the crowd, you're ministering to the leadership of your church and creating people that have done what are doing what you have done. So 
I would definitely miss the social interaction, but I also see that for a church to grow, there is that need to be able to move beyond yourself. And so that's why I kind of alluded to being self-gratifying. But yeah, I I would definitely miss the people I've met, uh, the the families that I've been welcoming into their houses. We go into a lot of homes, and we, we see a lot of things. And being able to connect with people like that, it, there's something about somebody welcoming you into their house. Mm-hmm. There's something special about that, especially when someone is dying and they kind of view you when you introduce yourself as, hi, my name is Jonathan, I'm the chaplain. There, there's You see hope in people's mm-hmm. eyes. For whatever reason, they, they see you're the one that's going to lead, like I said, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa to heaven before they die. And... I hate to keep saying it, but there's just something that makes you feel important to the kingdom. Well, you're truly shepherding somebody in the darkest valley right there. You know, you walk with me in the valley of the shadow of death. That's what the Lord does. Well, whenever we're imitating him, we have the opportunity to do some of those things. That's what you're doing. And that's really, that's really cool, Jonathan. Well, last, last 10%. One, I, I want to say how much I appreciated what you said earlier. We haven't been, always been bivocational, but we are now. Thank you for saying yes to the rural community, to, to Eustace and to being out there. But um, listening to the show might be someone with a dream of doing ministry bivocationally, or they might assume that um, if the full-time opportunity is not there, maybe they shouldn't accept it. What advice would you give them? about preparing themselves to minister faithfully while also working in the marketplace. That's some great thoughts. And I'll allude to some personal feelings. This may be just a little bit raw, a couple of thoughts that came to mind in the bivocational ministry. Um, And I'm sure if you're out there and you're bivocational, there's been many times you have thought some of these thoughts that if I was really good at being a pastor, eventually I could work myself out of being bivocational. That... If I'm truly called to the ministry, I shouldn't have to work a side job, so to speak, all the time in order to make this thing work. And so in the mind of a bivocational pastor or those who may be attempting that, you cannot allow the fact that maybe it'll last a year, maybe it'll last five years, 10 years, you never know, that to destroy your calling, Mm -hmm. that we will allow the attitude of not being good enough overrule the calling that whoever is coming to your church, whatever you are able and can afford to pour into your church, is enough when you serve a God that's more than enough. Mm-hmm. And I think for myself, I look back now, and there were times in ministry I was not bivocational, I was full-time, and there have been times I've been bivocational. And of the times I've been bivocational, I've done a lot of self-mutilating over the fact, am I really called? Because if I am, I should be able to grow this church to the place. I don't have to work outside the church. And that'll almost strip you from being in the ministry Mm -hmm. altogether by itself. And so what we find is the conclusion of the matter is not every church is going to get to the place to be self-sustaining. And it may not be that you don't have enough vision, enough anointing, enough calling. It just may be that's the size of the cup that you were placed in. It does not mean that God cannot grow you bigger than the cup that you were placed in. And so understanding some of that truth, that some places are just going to be that size. And that's just the size that they will be. Some churches will just be rural churches. They'll just be small churches. And that whether it be a large or a smaller church, 
the true privilege is the ability to preach the gospel. There you and go. that we should never forget that, to not allow the discouragement of being bivocational. So I would tell that to someone that is looking to do that. Also, I would say there is so much reward being in the workplace, um, meeting the people, expanding your influence. As the Bible teaches us, Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit. I believe it's Acts 10, 37, 38, somewhere in there that God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and he went about doing good. Basically, once he received his calling and his anointing, Jesus was no longer the carpenter's son. Jesus became the son of God in the eyes of the people, so to speak. And so being in the town, being at the workplace, being with the people, um, that's actually what's going to create a better and greater influence for your church, even if you were a full-time pastor. So those are just some some humble thoughts, but I would definitely want to encourage the bivocational pastor that maybe is thinking about giving up or is tired or is exhausted to implement that Sabbath, learn to rest, and then don't self-mutilate yourself because you've not been able to see the church grow like you wanted it to, expected mm-hmm. it to, and that trusting God in that bivocational minister. I mean, the man who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, Paul claims to be bivocational at times to make tents. And so it's actually a biblical practice. Mm-hmm. And that to never um, compare ourselves with the guy down the road or the minister down the street or what you used to could do. And so to learn to, to live and enjoy the moment, the opportunities that you make. I have found, especially in hospice chaplaincy, I've probably led more people to the Lord outside the church than I have inside the church. And I could have only done that being bivocational. Well, that's great. Well, Jonathan, thank you for being with us today. And friends, if you're a, if you're one of that big percentage of our North Texas district ministers who are bivocational, hope you're encouraged by uh, Pastor Jonathan spending time here today. Hope you know that your district leadership uh, loves you and reveres you for uh, what you're doing for the kingdom. And for those of you who are listening who are working full-time within that local church, hope you heard today the different opportunities Jonathan gets from having a foot firmly planted outside the church, that we don't miss that and become managers of systems to the extent that we forget that Jesus went from town to town and just spent time with people. 